Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you today, and Lord, we thank you for these beautiful hymns. Lord, we thank you for your love. We thank you that you give us the opportunity to praise you, and Lord, we pray that you would take each part of this, our worship service, and allow us to worship your name today. We pray that you would teach us what true worship is, and Lord, that you would do a work in our hearts that only you can do. We pray you'd bless each part. Help us to sing to your praise and glory. Lord, we pray that you would be with the preaching time, that I would be able to bring the message that you would have. But Lord, at the invitation time, that each one of us here would be willing to surrender to you, that the Holy Spirit would have his will and way in each of our lives, that we may bring glory and praise to your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Take your Bibles, if you would. And we're going to start in Mark chapter 10. And if you want a title for this morning's message, Luke chapter 10, I'm sorry. It's uh, it's sitting at the feet of Jesus. And I, I want us this morning to take a few moments and look at the life of a woman named Mary. Now, as I was thinking on, on this passage, you know, oftentimes we think of Mary and Martha and Lazarus as young and uh, beautiful and all of those things, and that just may not have been the case at all. Uh, we have two apparently spinster sisters and their older brother. And, uh, of course, in Jewish community and heritage, marriage was a very, very big thing. Uh, It's not like New York City today where you just don't get married. And uh, it was just something that happened to almost everybody. there, there may have been reason why they didn't get married. I, we don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. But be, be very careful about reading into the Scripture things that are not there. Uh, these two could have been two uh, elderly ladies well up in years, way past the, anything about marriage or any of that. People love to read romantic interest into everything. And uh, as we go through the story in a, in a period of less than three years, Lazarus gets sick and he dies. Uh, who knows, maybe Lazarus was in his 70s and his sisters were somewhere near there or maybe even past. We don't know. But be, be very careful that you don't put things in the scripture that aren't there. And so... When you read the passage, don't think of some 18-year-old beauty sitting there at Jesus' feet looking fawningly into his face. That's not in the scriptures. And uh, apparently these were at least middle-aged women because Martha was in control of the house. Now, Lazarus was there. Normally, property rights would have gone to the brother uh, this, needless to say, this is kind of a strange group of people here. Uh, they were not what we would call part of societal mainstream. And before we get anywhere near critical of them, I challenge you to take, 
take a look in the mirror when you get home and you'll probably find you're in the same group. Amen. Uh, we are just a collection of people trying to serve God today. Amen. And uh, if you're going to serve God in these days, that's going to make you a little weird. It doesn't matter. Uh, and it's okay to be unusual for the right reasons. But let's read our passage here. And we're going to, this is how we're introduced to this woman named Mary. And we're going to look to her. And of course, uh, there are several, several women in the Bible, in the ministry, in the life of Jesus with that same name. Uh, there was Mary, who was Jesus' earthly mother. There was uh, 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 Mary Magdalene. There was uh, other Marys. This was a unique uh, Mary all on her own. And we start here in verse 38. Now came to pass as they went that he entered into a certain village. And a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was cumbered about much serving and came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bid her therefore that she help me. Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful. Mary hath chosen that good part which shall not be taken away from her. Now this is the introduction. This is all we know about Mary uh, to this point in the scripture. She's basically going to appear two more times and then fade off into the uh, side stage of history. Uh, and want to be careful that we we do not know what she looked like. We do not know her age. We do not know her social status. We, we don't know a lot of things. But what we do know was that Martha, her sister, received Jesus into the house. Now, the idea there was that Jesus came into their village, uh, a little town just outside of Jerusalem, not very far. And as Jesus was there teaching, apparently... Martha went up and she said, I want you to eat at my house today. I want, I want to take care of your physical needs as you have come and taught the Bible in our town. She received him. She opened her, her doors. Now, normally, you didn't just go up to somebody's door. And even today, it would be very rude to knock on someone's door and say, I'm eating lunch at your house today. Uh, that might get you a rather unwelcome reception now, wouldn't it? And uh, so it says that she received him. She brought him into the house and she was fixing a dinner. Now, how many of you ladies just like to cook big dinners? I know we have several out there and, and uh, it is... My favorite part about big dinners is not fixing them, but eating them. Amen. Uh, I think it was uh, Brother Franz was preaching the other night about doing his exercises. He left two of my most favorite exercises out. That's push-outs and pull-ins. You got a table in front of you. You push out to get seconds and then pull in to eat. Amen. 
now you have to be careful. Those kind of exercises can be very harmful. But Martha was one of those people that just loved to fix a dinner and everything had to be right. It is a lot of work to make a big dinner. Mary wasn't interested in the dinner. Now, hospitality is a great gift, and it's a good thing to be hospitable. And and the Bible speaks about that. But Mary sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. I want to challenge you, as, as we look at the life of this woman named Mary, that as we are introduced to her in the scripture, she started out in the right place. She was choosing to leave other important things undone. Now, how many of you have a to-do list where you write everything down and you're trying to get things done on your to-do list and you work on that? Has anyone here ever gotten everything done on your to-do list? Good. I thought I was in a church full of people who got everything done. No. I read in a book and it said, if you can't possibly get everything done, you have too much to do. Uh, Tell me something I don't already know. How about the rest of you? Uh, I mean, we all have too many things to do. There is no person who gets everything done that they want to do unless they don't want to do very much. I, I mean, there, there are some low achievers out there who, who just don't care. And if I get nothing done today, I'm fine. But most of us aren't like that. We've got things we're trying to do, we want to do, that must be done. Isn't that true? I want you to know that Mary had things that needed to be done. They were hosting Jesus. uh, They wanted that meal to be very special. There was a lot of work to be done. And let me tell you, Martha was getting it done. I'm one of those people I read this story, and I'm rooting for Martha. How about you? Uh, I mean, she's got a lot of things to do, and she's running to and fro. And finally, she sees Mary the third or fourth time as she passes the room just sitting there and listening to Jesus. And she's had it. She said, don't you understand, Mary? There's things to go. She wouldn't rebuke Mary in front of a guest. That would be very, very rude. In fact, even to this day, a a Jewish part of uh, one of the big, greatest no-nos in Jewish community is to embarrass another person publicly. You, You never, never do that. And so instead of embarrassing Mary, she looks to Jesus, who is the greatest Bible teacher. It's his book. And Martha knew enough that the Bible said that you ought to be hospitable and take care of people and do these things. And so she's trying to gently 
nudged the Lord Jesus Christ into reminding Mary of her domestic duties and that it's really not fair to not give Martha a chance to sit at Jesus' feet and hear his word, that maybe Jesus could just remind Mary to help ease the burden just a little bit. Now imagine Mary, if she, Martha, if she was like most of us, was not quite that gentle on the inside. She was a seething cauldron. Why does she forget and not? Well, I, I want to challenge you. Jesus' answer to Martha in this situation implies that Mary was well aware of all of the things that must be done to provide a meal. And she had chosen to ignore those other important and necessary things that she might sit at Jesus' feet and hear his words. And Jesus' answer was not what Martha was expecting. He said, Martha, Martha. Now that in itself is a gentle form of rebuke, is it not? Thou art careful and troubled about many things. I mean, if you've ever seen one of those meals being prepared, I mean, you're not supposed to sprinkle the spices on the meat. You're supposed to massage them into the meat. And uh, it's not enough to just put a little dash of this. You've got to taste it. And you've got to make sure that it's just exactly the way it ought to be. And, and all the rules have got to be followed. And, and I'll tell you what, I'm glad. All those little rules of washing your hands and washing the knives and all of that. I, I, I'm very happy about those things. I don't like food poisoning. Uh, but Jesus said, Martha, you're, you're careful. And I appreciate your carefulness and you're allowing these things to trouble you. You are going to the utmost effort to make this meal exactly what it ought to be. And I'm thankful for that. But I want you to understand something, Martha. This physical meal is going to be gone in a few moments. You know, people have special meals that last hours. But you don't eat for hours. It's not possible to eat for hours. I mean, a, a normal human being can get totally full and what? I mean, if you're working at it, it shouldn't take about 15, 20 minutes. I mean, and it, it is packed in uh, uh, well full there. But why does the meal take hours? Well, because you have to talk a little and you have to sip. You can't gulp when you're with company and all of these things. I mean, and you're, you're supposed to eat small bites and be polite, but you don't spend hours eating. A few moments, this whole thing was going to be gone and all that would be left were the leftovers. And without a refrigerator, which they didn't have in those days, they wouldn't be around very long. 
Jesus said that Mary hath chosen that good part which shall not be taken away from her. I want to challenge you today as we look at the life of of Mary. we're, We're just trying to tell the story that is here. There's reasons why these details are included in the scriptures. Mary was doing the most important thing. Let me just break from the story, give you something to think about. How many of you remember the first time you heard about Jesus? Did you understand everything that you needed to understand? No, it it takes some time. I've met people over the years that say, yeah, I read the Bible once. I didn't understand it. Pardon me. You don't just read the Bible once. Uh, I, I like to read. I've read some very large books. I'm not quite like Peter is, my son. Uh, but I can sit down and read five, eight hundred pages in a couple of days and remember most of what I read and enjoy the book. I can't do that with the Bible. It's too deep. I can't sit down and just read 500 pages off. There's too much here. I've been, I have invested my entire adult life in reading and studying the Bible. And I'll tell you, if I were to judge where I am, I'm about that far. We've just scratched the surface. There is so much in the Scripture. And you come for the Bible studies on Thursday night. I've really tried in the book of Revelation to keep moving, uh, but I get stuck uh, and, and just want to explore a verse or two, and, and it takes a whole 45 minutes just to get through a few phrases in the Scripture. Uh, and I'll tell you what, we're not plumbing the depths of everything that is there. We're just getting the basics. But Mary sat at Jesus' feet. She heard His Word. She spent some time... And I'm going to challenge you, if you're going to know anything about Jesus and anything about this book called the Bible, you are going to have to spend some time doing so, or you're not going to know anything. You'll just think you know a few things. Just by way of illustration, how many of you have ever got a new program for your computer? And it used to be in the old days, they actually printed the manuals. And you get this big old book, this thick. And I always flip to the cheat sheet. Easy startup. Ah, this is what I want. Five minutes, I've read everything. I got the program going. Do I have any clue as to what I'm doing? Absolutely not. But it feels good. It's working. It's doing what I want it to do. And so I'm happy. That's the way most people are with the Bible. It takes years of study. It, it, you should be willing to invest a lifetime in this book to really understand. And let me tell you, that's where Mary started out. But let's go to John chapter 10, John chapter 11, actually. 
Just because you start out learning about Jesus and studying Him, sitting at His feet, there is absolutely no guarantee that your faith is going to be everything that it ought to be. Let me tell you, a few years after this event, Mary's brother, Lazarus, got sick. Look at verse 1 of chapter 11 of the book of John. John 11, verse 1. Now a certain man was sick named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary, and her sister Martha. It was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Now verse 2 hasn't happened yet. This is future. But John is giving us a little information so we know which Mary is being spoken of here. Therefore his sisters sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. Now, apparently, there was a relationship that had been built over these years as they meet Jesus the first time or whatever time that was. He was in Bethany there in the book of Luke that we looked at. And now we're coming down to just weeks before the crucifixion here. And they send a message to Jesus, He whom thou lovest is sick, signed Mary and Martha, or Martha and Mary, as the case may be. Now, if there had not been some intimacy of relationship there, some closeness, something more than just a casual friendship, would Jesus have had any idea who, who they were speaking of when they said, Behold, he whom thou lovest is sick? Uh, but let me tell you, there, there was some relationship there. There was uh, a, a closeness that Jesus didn't even have to read the signature other than he being God and knew everything. I mean, what we're talking about is purely on a human level here. He knew exactly who they were speaking about, whom they were speaking about. He knew that Lazarus was sick. But see, Jesus had another plan. He wanted to reveal His glory to the world at large. In order for that to happen, Lazarus had to die. Now, Jesus had not taken time to inform Lazarus and Mary and Martha about what was going to happen. Uh, could I just challenge you today to think about the simple fact that God is under no obligation to tell you what he is doing? And Jesus did not do that. Lazarus got sick. Things started getting serious. They sent immediately to Jesus, who stayed where he was another three days. Lazarus had died while the messenger was taking the note to Jesus. When they finally get to Bethany, Lazarus had been in the grave four days. Now, if you understand anything about the culture, and the Bible has several references here, when a person died, very unlike today, we call the funeral director and the mortician comes and they do all kinds of nice things and they put you in a pretty box and 
and everybody's supposed to walk by, doesn't he look natural? I hope not. Uh, I don't want to look natural in a coffin. Amen? Uh, I... I never have got, I never have been able to wrap my mind around that thing, but we will have a grieving period that will last several days upwards of a week, and then we go to the cemetery and dig a hole and, and put the coffin inside a vault in the ground and seal it all up and then put a tombstone up so we can go back and remember that this is where Someone that we once loved is buried and their remains are here and all of these things that we do. It was a little different. You were buried the day you died for obvious reasons. The spread of disease, other unpleasantries that we shall not discuss at this point in the hot, humid I mean, hot and dry weather of the land there, no funeral parlors, no morticians. And besides, when a dead body was in a house, the entire house was unclean. You had to scrub everything in the house. Any pottery vessels that were in the house had to be broken. How would you like to lose all your dishes? I mean, this, there were some serious things that happened here. And so Lazarus would have been buried and there was a, uh, a, a period of upwards of three days that the actual sepulcher was left open where they would deposit spices, things to smell good, and, and they would be able to uh, uh, grieve. And, and, but after the fourth day, the tomb was sealed, again for rather obvious, on the third day. And the, the public mourning was over, the friends went home, and, and it was all done. Now, Mary and Martha were apparently somewhat well-known people because the Jews, anytime you see capital J-E-W-S in your Bible, it's not referring to Jewish people because everybody in the story was Jewish. It's the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees from the temple came down. Now, to get a visit from the priest, you had to be somebody very important. They didn't leave Jerusalem to go see anybody for anything. But several of their number had come down here to comfort Mary and Martha. And so we're now into the fourth or fifth day, fourth day here. And Jesus comes. Martha's out there to meet him. Look at verse 22, 20. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. As soon as Martha heard word that Jesus was in the outskirts of the village, of the town, she leaves the house, leaves the, the mourners, leaves the whole procession there and goes out to meet Jesus. And her and Jesus have a conversation. And the conversation is, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. Now, was that statement true? Absolutely. But look at verse 22. But I know... That even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it to thee. He says, 
I know even now, after Lazarus has been dead for four days, that you can ask God anything and God will do whatever you say. Now, let me ask you a question. Was that a statement of faith? You better believe it was. And Jesus makes one of those super statements in the Bible in verse 25. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? Now look at Martha's answer in verse 27. She saith unto him, Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. What a statement! Martha knew what was going on here. But I want to challenge you, our main focus is Mary. The one who sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word, who refused to do many important things that she might do the most important thing. She understood that the spiritual meal that Jesus was feeding her by giving her his word was far more important than the physical meal that Martha was preparing. But look at Mary in verse 32. Then when Mary was come where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet. Now that's a good start saying unto him, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. Period. When I read that passage, that period is deafening to me. That period says more about Mary and her weakness of faith in this time of crisis than if it had all been written out. Because we go to the next verse When Jesus therefore saw her weeping and the Jews also weeping which came with her, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. There was no difference between what Mary was going through with the loss of her brother and the unsaved temple crowd who came to comfort her. Mary was in a time of spiritual crisis here. Her faith was nowhere near what Martha's was. It was Martha that had talked with Jesus. It was Martha that said, roll the stone away from the tomb. It was Martha that had given that testimony of believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. All Mary was doing is she had completely fallen apart, emotional collapse, She had trusted in Jesus, and in her mind, he had failed. Now, let me ask you a question. Had Jesus failed? Of course not. It's not possible. Jesus was doing exactly what he had planned to do all along. Remember, God is not under an obligation to explain to you what he's doing. But if you'll trust God, let me tell you, he'll get more done than you ever could think of. When this was all said and done and Lazarus had been brought back to life through the power of Jesus Christ, Mary and Martha were the happiest of all. Because not only did they have their brother back, 
it says here that even some of the Jews, this religious, unsaved, unbelieving temple crowd, when they saw this miracle that Jesus did, they said, I've had enough of you people there at the temple. I've had enough of your traditions. I'm following Jesus. There's something about him that is different than everybody else. Now, Mary and Martha were important enough among this crowd that they had traveled from Jerusalem to their home to comfort them in their time of grief. You know, many people have friends and relatives that they would love to see get saved. But let me ask you a question. Would you be willing to go through what Mary and Martha did to have them get saved? Something to think about. But Jesus answered their prayer. But Lazarus had to die, spend four days in the grave for it all to happen. Pretty scary thought now, isn't it? Mary sat at Jesus' feet. Mary's faith was not perfect just because you start out right doesn't mean you're going to stay right all the way. But we got one more short blip here in the life of Mary. And I want you to turn with me to Mark chapter 14. And you may be asking, Pastor, why are you jumping around all these different books just to find the story of this one person? And it's simply this. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are four independent biographies or stories of the ministry of Jesus Christ. They did not sit down and plan their speech. Each wrote their story independently of the other in different years and all of this. And so you have to read all the stories and go different places to find different little details that the Holy Spirit put in uh, it just simply means God wants you to spend a little time with this book. And since we've already covered that point, we'll move on. We come here. This is a couple of weeks or so after Lazarus has been resurrected. We have the last week. And Jesus is in Bethany. Verse 3. In the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at meat, there came a woman having an alabaster box of ointment of spikenard, very precious. And she broke the box and poured it on his head. And there were some that had indignation within themselves, and they said, Why was this waste of ointment made? For it might have been sold for more than 300 pence and had been given to the poor, and they murmured against her, and Jesus said, Let her alone. Why trouble ye her? She hath wrought a good work on me, for ye have the poor with you always, and whenever ye will, ye may do them good, but me ye have not always. She hath done what she could. She has come before aforehand to anoint my body to the bearing. Now I want you to read verse 9 with me. Verily I say unto you, wheresoever this gospel shall be preached throughout the whole world, this also that she hath done shall be spoken of for a memorial of her. This is what I call the single greatest act of worship recorded in the scriptures during Jesus' earthly ministry. 
I mean, you might want to argue that Abraham taking Isaac to the mountain was a greater feat, but we're talking about in the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ, to his person, there was no other act of worship that compares to this one. And Jesus gave testimony in verse 9 that wherever this story, wherever the gospel of Jesus is preached, this story is going to be told about And in John's gospel, in John chapter 12 and verse 3, we have Mary identified. We read the verse in in, uh, John chapter 11 and verse 2 where Mary was also identified as the person who perpetrated this act. They were making a great supper. People were on their way to Jerusalem for the Passover. This is the night before we, what we would call the triumphal entry of Jesus or Palm Sunday. They're making this meal there and apparently the house of Mary and Martha and Lazarus was not uh, large enough to accommodate the number of guests that were there. And so they were in the house of Simon the leper and the fact that they're in the house of Simon the leper is evidence that Simon was a leper that he was not at that point. Otherwise, he wouldn't be in his own house. And so Jesus had healed Simon and Lazarus was there as the secondary guest of honor. People were there to see Jesus, but they were also there to see Lazarus. What was it like to be dead? I mean, wouldn't you like to ask somebody that question? And people were there talking. And by the way, don't get caught up in this near-death experience stuff because that's what it is. It is near death because once you're dead, you stay that way with the exception of the power of God. So don't go chasing there. Stick with the Scripture. But Jesus gave testimony that as she took this box of ointment, the Bible tells us it was spikenard. That was the name of the spice. Uh, I don't believe that uh, you can go down to the perfume shop and buy spikenard. I'm not sure about that. Uh, But just to give you an idea, it says this box was worth 300 pence. Somebody said, three bucks? That's cheap perfume. No, 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 no. A penny was a day's wages, my friend. 300 days. You make $100 a day. That's a $30,000 box of perfume. Does that put it in a little different light? This was beyond anything you could imagine called extravagant. Now, I am a man that is very sensitive to strong smells. Normally, perfumes and stuff like that send me for the antihistamines. Uh, I just have to be very careful about that stuff. And as... They were eating this meal. Mary comes in and breaks this box. 
And everyone in the hall, there may have been a hundred people there. We don't know. It was a big place. There were a lot of people there. They're all choking. You can't taste your food anymore because the smell of this spikenard is so strong that it has completely overcome everything. She brought the entire celebration of people being happy about Lazarus, being happy about the miracles of Jesus, rejoicing about the coming feast of the Passover, all of these things that were going on, all of these secondary themes, Mary stops them all. And everyone is focused on the Lord Jesus Christ and they can't focus on anything else because they're coughing and... (laughs) Why did she do that? And Jesus made a statement. He said... She came to anoint me for the burying. Now let me tell you something. Did disciples believe that Jesus was going to be killed and buried? Absolutely not. Had he told them that that was going to happen? Many times. He had gone through and he said, I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to be delivered into the hands of the Jews. They're going to torture me. He didn't use the word torture, but... And they're going to treat me spitefully and they're going to kill me. In fact, at one point, Matthew chapter 16, Peter gets up and says, Lord, nobody's going to hurt you. I'm going to protect you. And he denied the Lord three times the night Jesus was betrayed. That he even knew who Jesus was. With friends like Peter. Hire a security guard, right? But... That was not the point. Jesus was willingly going to lay down his life. No one could have stopped him because he was dying in our place. But somebody understood. That somebody was our dear friend Mary who had failed miserably in her faith when it was tested at Lazarus' death. But you see, she started out right. She sure ended up right. And Jesus gave a testimony to her faith, saying that wheresoever this message is spoken of, of my work, they're going to tell the story of what Mary did, how that she anointed me with this ointment, how that everybody was focused on me. By the way, focusing on Jesus and nothing else is the essence of true worship. And by the way, even if Mary, Martha, and Lazarus were extremely rich, and I I think that you would have to be somewhat rich to have a $30,000 box of perfume sitting in your house. Uh, Someone said that, Obviously, this was her life savings and she was reserving it for her own funeral. We have no idea what that was about. It may have been that she took everything that she had and went and purchased this just for this event. That would be much more fitting than all the other surmisals. It wasn't necessarily something that she just had sitting on the shelf saving for a rainy day. This was a deliberate act of worship upon the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
he was going to die. She understood enough of what he said about the events of his death that there wasn't going to be a nice funeral for Jesus like there was for Lazarus. There wasn't going to be a time to anoint and do all of these things. And yet some made provision for those very things when Jesus died. But Mary performed this act all on her own. And Jesus took notice of it. How many of you would like to do something with your life? that God himself would take notice of. Amen? Now I want us to go back through the story. Because I don't know about you. How many of you would join me? My description of this past week has been a rather frustrating one. Anybody else there? I mean, just... I had my to-do list... It should have been unto-do list. I mean, everything you try doesn't... Anybody else have a week like that? Maybe not last week, but you've had times like that. We get frustrated. We think we've got things that have to be done. And we give forth our best efforts. And it doesn't get done. Am I the only one that happens to... Come on, somebody go like this or something. Let me know that you're alive, all right? We'll be done here in about an hour, all right? No, uh, it won't take that long. We should be done in very few moments. If you just act like you're listening, we'll finish, okay? Because we got some points that I believe the Lord wants us to get across. If you don't start out right, you're not going to end up right. If you want to go to Dittmar's, don't get on the R train. It'll take you through Astoria, but you'll never get to Dittmar's on the R train. Now, how many of you used to, are old enough, or been here long enough to remember the double R train that used to go to Dittmar's? Uh, but it doesn't do that anymore. If you don't start out right, you're never going to end up right. That's one of the great lies of our society. Is I can dabble and do whatever I want, and hopefully it'll all turn out right in the end. Let me tell you, it doesn't work that way. Mary started out sitting at the feet of Jesus and hearing his word. If you are here today and you are concerned about your soul in any measure, let me challenge you that you're going to have to start out sitting at the feet of Jesus and hearing his word. And it's going to take more than one hearing. It's going to take a little bit of effort, but is your soul worth the effort to spend enough time with this book to find out what it says? Years ago... I had a Buddhist priest visit our church. He actually met Zach and Slava at the bagel stand. And they had witnessed to him. And gave him a track. And he showed up and he held the paper and they said, some guys I know gave me this. They said, you'll teach me about the Bible. I said, well, if you want to learn about the Bible, I said, you come to the right place. 
And for several weeks, he would come to church on Sunday mornings. And he didn't wear his bright orange robe or shave his head and do all that weird stuff. I mean, he was, he said, I I just want to learn. And over a period of six months, we met at least once a week, plus the church services that he attended. And we went through the Bible. And by the end of that time, he could tell you exactly what the Bible said about salvation. But I'm here to tell you he rejected it. Which is a tragedy. But can I tell you a greater tragedy? Is he called himself karma. Karma Sherpa. I don't believe that was his real name, but it may have been, who knows. But a greater tragedy than a Buddhist priest sitting and learning and understanding and then rejecting are those who reject the truth of the Bible and never even gain an understanding of what they're rejecting. Would you agree with me on that this morning? That is a far greater tragedy than those who truly understand. Because... There are people who reject the truth of the Bible. My neighbor went to church and they were nasty to me. Well, I'll tell you what, is that a good enough reason to go to hell? I hope not. I'd hope you'd have enough sense not to let one jerk rob you of heaven. Somebody said it was more than one. Okay. A hundred jerks rob you of heaven. Is it worth it? No, it's not. Mary sat at Jesus' feet. I want to ask you a question. Where are you sitting at Jesus' feet and hearing his word? Now, I know this sounds self-serving, and I don't mean it to be, but I'm just obeying the Bible. I'm up here preaching because that's what the Bible tells us that we ought to do in church. And so I'm humbly pleading with you, you can come to church and sit here and hear the words of Jesus. That's what we spend our time with every week. And we do it Sunday morning, Sunday school, worship service, Sunday night, and Thursday night. We, We spend all of our time teaching God's Word. And I want to challenge you that in order to get into God's Word, there's going to have to be some important things taken off your to-do list so that you could spend time with God's Word. And I'll tell you, I've already been to the altar in my own heart, and I'm reworking my to-do list to spend some more time in this book as a preacher, because that is the one thing that is needful. But if you're concerned about your soul, you've got to get into the Word. You've got to understand what it says. And it, it doesn't take years. If you would make a time where we could sit down, I could probably answer most of your important questions and give you as complete an understanding in an hour or so. But it may take you a while to work past all the confusion and the deception and the self-deception that is hindering your understanding of the word. But I'm here to tell you that I'm willing to take the time if you are. 
had a young man come to me many years ago. He says, I don't think I'm saved. I said, well, son, nobody can be halfway saved. You either got to be saved or unsaved. You can't be in the middle. Remember that conversation? And for the remainder of a year, we would meet and we would talk. And finally, one day, the light went on. He said, I understand. I'm not saved. Are you ready to get saved? Yeah. You have to be lost to get saved. It's not a process. It's an event. It's being born again. It is being born of God's power through His Word. And just because you sit at Jesus' feet enough today to learn what it means to be truly born again the Bible way is no guarantee that your faith is going to stand up to the test that God's going to put you through. Like Mary, there will be times when you fail. You know why we fail? Because we stopped hearing His words and started listening to our own. That's why we failed. She could not, in her own heart, in her own being, understand why Lazarus had to die. So somebody had to be wrong. Either she was wrong for having so much grief and not trusting Jesus more than her own grief, or Jesus was wrong And she was right to experience all this sorrow. You say, Pastor, when you put it that way, you don't give me any choice. That's exactly why I put it that way. Amen. Because our hearts are often overwhelmed with circumstance. And it's very easy to get our feet knocked out from under us. It's very easy to lose our way to stop trusting only in Jesus. That's why the Bible says in Galatians chapter 6, ye shall reap in due season if ye, what? Faint not. You don't ever stop trusting God's word. Somebody told me, I tried that Jesus thing once, it didn't work. I said, listen, if you tried the Jesus thing and you were able to lay it down, it's not the Bible thing. Because the Bible thing isn't something you try. It is God changing your life. Amen? But when we do fail, let me ask you a question. Where did Mary go after she had failed at Lazarus' death? She went back to Jesus. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Don't forget that last phrase. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. To bring us back where we need to be. Let's go to the book of Ephesians. We'll be done. Ephesians chapter 2. You see, I believe that God wants to use each one of our lives as He used Mary's. Ephesians chapter 2. 
Verse 5. Even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Verse 7. That in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. Do you get what it says there? It says for this purpose he raised us up. This purpose he saved us. That in the ages to come, that in eternity future, he could show people his exceeding goodness to us. Show the exceeding riches of His grace in His kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. Uh, Do you think Mary's going to be on that list? Let me tell you, if Jesus took note of what she did here on earth and had it recorded in the Scripture and said, everywhere the gospel of Jesus Christ is preached, the story of Mary's worship is going to be talked about. I think that he's going to set her up and say, now look what I did through the life of this woman. How that she took this exceedingly unbelievable, extraordinary, ridiculous, beyond comprehension of any sensibility gift. And in just a few moments, it was poured out on his head and on his feet and it filled the room and was gone forever. I mean, there are people that will spend $30,000 on a cheap thrill. But this was one that had eternal rewards because she gave it in honor and glory of Jesus. If she hadn't been sitting at his feet while Martha was serving, she'd never gotten to that final act of worship. If she had turned away from Jesus when Lazarus had died and never gone back and made things right, but her heart was so overcome with her faithlessness and his faithfulness that she had to do something. That something was so extraordinary, Jesus Christ himself recorded it in the Scriptures. And it says in the book of Ephesians that eternity is going to be about showing the exceeding riches of His grace toward us. Of His grace. Now look at this. In His kindness toward us. I've almost skipped that phrase. How patient was Jesus to save your soul? How patient must he be to put up with all the sins that you've sinned since last Sunday morning? How patient and how kind is he that he never says, I'm busy. He never says, I don't want to hear your prayers. He never puts us on hold. Tell you what, I want to worship that Savior with my life. Could we learn some things from Mary today? I'm going to ask you to find yourself in this story. Maybe you're at the beginning 
you know something about Jesus, but you don't know him personally. You've not been saved. Uh, I'm going to, if you find yourself there, I'm going to challenge you. Will you sit at the feet of Jesus and hear his word? I'm going to ask you to be in church services. Take your Bible home and read it. And if you don't have a Bible, that's no excuse. You'll leave one here. If you tell me, you'll leave this church with a Bible today. We'll give you one. Not an expensive one, but we'll give you a Bible because we believe in that. How can you hear Jesus' word? If the preaching and the services you get at church just aren't enough, we are working uh, on a sermon library. Peter just got permission to uh, copy uh, almost all of Brother Davison's series on teaching and everything, and you'll be able to check those sermons out or take a copy home and put it on your computer. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, and and, uh, Brother Slava's just redone our... Uh, sermon, um, uh, listen, uh, whatever you call it, the, uh, the place where you can listen and download sermons on our church website. And within the next few weeks, you'll have access to six or eight years of preaching on our church website right here. Along, you will have more good preaching. Don't just type in preaching in a Google search. Uh, let me challenge you. You're going to come up with some real screwballs, all right? Uh, and I'm not the only good preacher. And we, we have many great preachers come in and visit and preach in this pulpit on purpose. But we will do our best to get you more preaching than you could possibly listen to, all right? That's sitting at the feet of Jesus. Well, maybe you're past that point. But you're looking at the gravesite of Lazarus. You're in a crisis of your faith. And you're not doing so well. Let me challenge you, number one, don't stop believing in Jesus or obeying his word. Number two, if you fail... Get back to Jesus to make things right. I wish I had a dollar for every person that sat in those pews and said, Pastor, when I get this thing straightened out, I'll be back to church. I'm not a betting man, but I don't plan on seeing you again because you can't straighten it out. This is the place where you get it straightened out. That's what church is about. It's a hospital for the soul. Amen? And the time will come if you are still there that the God of heaven will choose you himself to perform an act of worship that will bring him glory in eternity. But you've got to be there. And you've got to do it. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I come before you this morning. And I thank you for your word. I thank you that this is not just some made-up story to illustrate a point, but these are details about the life of a real person, a woman that lived at the very time and in the very places that Jesus walked. And Lord, how you used her 
in spite of her failures. Lord, we could spend the whole time on any one of these points and even many of the sub-points, but I pray that the Holy Spirit would have freedom to minister this to the point in individual lives where it needs to be touched upon. Lord, we ask that you would do some extraordinary things with our little church here. And Lord, indeed you have in the past. There are still many that just marvel at the story of how you provided this building for us to worship in. Lord, there are many that just stand in amazement and say, I can't believe what God is doing in this little church in New York City. And we thank you for that, Lord. But Lord, we don't want the miracles to end today or yesterday or any time. We... We don't want the miracles to end until you bring us to heaven and take us out of this world. We pray that you will work in people's lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.